Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening in and welcome to another episode of Tuned Into Tennis. I'm your host, Miles David, and together we'll get tuned into some of the biggest action happening at the U.S. Open. Today, we'll be dissecting some of the action from day two in New York, which featured action from the top half of the men's singles draw and bottom half of the women's singles draw. We're going to hit the headlines, the trending stories, uh, talk about who's in, who's out, and get us prepared for day three of the last Grand Slam of the year. It's going by quickly already, which is a little bit weird to say, but I feel like in some of the other Grand Slams this year, the first round was extended either due to how it's always done, which is like the French Open, they played the first round over three days. And then at Wimbledon, there was so much rain that the first round took kind of forever to get started and finished. I'm not quite sure how it happened at Australia, but for some reason, it feels like everything is kicked up a gear at the US Open so far this year. So let's get into the people that competed for a spot in the second round. All right, I have to be honest. Day two featured some matches that... Honestly, comparative to day one, which really had a feeling of being alive with Coco Golf's match and all of the controversy that was surrounded that one, even though like on the controversy meter, that match really was not that <laughs> bad. But in today's era of social media, especially when things that happen in the tennis world touch outside of the tennis world and the right people kind of give win to the flames or fan the flames, I should say, it becomes bigger than what it is. So I'm interested to see how like Coco deals with i'm sure added clicks or searches of her name and she might not even be aware of all that stuff if she has the right team around her uh for this next match on wednesday she probably won't even know that tiktok <laughs> and instagram and twitter have been uh having her name trending for the past 24 hours or so but that's beside the point i say all of that to say that night two of the u.s open did not really give us any of that to work with because the two matches featuring Venus Williams and Carlos Alcarez, one was a disappointment because of an opponent retiring. Carlos Alcarez's opponent retired. He was facing Dominic Kupfer of Germany, who also played college tennis at the University of Tulane in New Orleans. So shout out to Dominic Kupfer. But unfortunately, he was not able to finish his match against Carlos Alcarez because he suffered a pretty 
severe enough ankle twist turn rollover in the first couple opening games of the match that uh, made him require some medical attention. He definitely tried to continue on and he finished out that first set. But midway through the second set, he realized that it probably wasn't worth it. And the prize money he was going to get was going to be his only consolation prize at this point. I felt bad for him because I think he's a gritty opponent. I mean, the connection to Tulane is is great as I'm from Louisiana myself. But um I didn't really think it was going to be much of a match, but you never want to see a match in that way. And Carlos Alcarez was gracious as he always is. For such a young guy, he's pretty composed and mature out there. And uh, yeah, it's hard to gauge where his level is. But if I had to gander, it would have been pretty high enough to deal with Dominic Kupfer uh, comfortably, injury or no injury. So he goes into the second round via his opponent retiring his his outfit though i may have somebody on later on in the week to kind of discuss some of our favorite outfits uh, from the u.s open but he donned a sleeveless um colorful print and like some wine burgundy colored shorts that just looked good under the night under the the light the night lights and arthur ash he looked he looked solid he looked uh you know, modern, hip, strong, just, you know, it was a good showing from Nike. And, I, you know, Nike has uh, been hit or miss. Some of the fashions at the U.S. Open have been hit or miss at, at this particular edition of the U.S. Open. And in, in U.S. Open past, it's been hit or miss. But I think Carlos Alcarez looked good, all things considered. So shout out to him. Moving on to the other disappointment in the night session. That kind of really put a damper on things. If you had a ticket to Arthur Ashe on Tuesday night, I really, I mean, actually all day, because none of the matches were really great. Uh, we'll get to some of the other ones that happened, but none of the matches were splendiferous <laughs> for sure. But Venus Williams opened up the night session. She played a qualifier, Greet Menon, and unfortunately it was not an effective or uh, productive, any kind of other word that ends with if. <laughs> night for Venus Williams. She lost 6-1-6-1. She barely made a match of it, and that is me putting it as respectable and as respectfully as I can, because I love Venus Williams. I would not be um, even tempted to have a microphone in front of my mouth talking about professional tennis if it wasn't for Venus Williams' impact, so I give her tons of respect for that. I'm just not sure if the people that I'll, I'll say this. I'm not sure. Actually, I'm, I'm mildly positive that Venus did not do much to the already stirring conversation I see from tennis fans implying that she needs to retire and or make some of these wild card slots that she's receiving from various tournaments um, worth it and give them to quote unquote other deserving players as if just on a tangential part of that note that I see often on social media people feel like she doesn't deserve them because she's not winning as much and of the caliber that we are quote unquote associated with with Venus Williams which I do have to say I understand what they're saying I see the I see the perspective I guess um but it it leans into a little vitriol for me and I guess I'm biased because, like I've already said, I love Venus Williams. Um, but it, it leans into a little bit more vitriol that I'm uncomfortable with because if there's anybody in women's professional tennis that I feel like 
quote unquote, deserves and reserves the right to play as much tennis as they want to, regardless of ranking. I would imagine that I cannot think actually not even imagine. I cannot think of that many more names outside of Venus Williams who would preserve and deserve that coveted spot. She still was able to bring people out to watch her play the likes of Queen Latifah, a really actually super impactful actress rapper and uh entertainment icon to me actually it's so funny how like a lot of people have been intertwined into my watching of venus and serena over the years because queen latifah queen latifah excuse me has been a staple in new york and after all these years after venus has been multiple years removed from winning a grand slam title she still can pull names that could be doing a multitude of other things like queen latifah queen why do i keep messing up the lady's name talking about i'm so uh, inspired by her i can't even get her name out queen latifah could be doing probably a million different things in new york besides sitting in arthur ash cheering on venus williams as could jimmy butler of the miami heat i mean should i should i fact check if jimmy butler's in the miami heat i told myself i was gonna care more about basketball this year so I should I should I should really fact check the computer's right in front of me. Jimmy Butler. Yes, he plays for the Miami Heat of the National Basketball Association. See, I'm not as far removed as I thought I was. Look, we love to see it. Good job, Miles. Um, okay, back to the story at hand. Venus just simply did not play well and it was tough to see. She didn't look comfortable from the word go, which is frustrating for me as a fan because I alt- I I have very much so adjusted my expectations and don't go into tournaments thinking that Venus Williams is going to be in the final or lift trophies and be competitive in that way. But I do think she's interesting from a standpoint of where is she going to land in the draw? Who is she going to get first round? And if she is able to make that competitive, can she come away with the victory and kind of give herself momentum? And all of those things felt in line with the draw that she received at the U.S. Open this year. She got Paula Bedosa, which Paula Bedosa is very much so a notable name in women's tennis, not recently because she's been injured and actually has decided to shut down her season for the rest of 2023. But when I saw that matchup, I knew that Venus, in a rare (laughs) switch of events, had actually been playing more tennis than Paula Bedosa had since Wimbledon. So I was I kind of had my hopes up that Venus would be able to still be able to be impactful in the way that she hits the ball against Paula Bedosa because Paula Bedosa would have came in to that match without the competitive uh, matches underneath her belt compared to Venus who played pretty actively in the U S open series. And that didn't happen because Paula Bedosa pulled out obviously. And Greet Menon took her spot in the draw. She qualified. She played three matches in the qualifying draw and actually <laughs> in a weird twist of tennis fate it's interesting that greet menon was the person to slide into the draw to face venus because in 2022 just last year venus played another belgian who has a connection to greet menon by the name of allison van utvank who used to date greet menon they were one of the um handful of out lgbtq plus couples on the wta tour which i support they're no longer together uh van Utvenk has actually gotten uh married to someone else but it's just interesting that venus um is weirdly but not really in the middle <laughs> of that whole scenario but um i'm not sure what was playing on venus's mind or what the game plan was or was not but she just did not look like she had a grasp on things from a from a 
from a perspective of what was happening in her surroundings, like what the conditions were in the match, it definitely felt like it has been a humid tournament so far just after the first two days players have been absolutely drenched especially at night because the humid just kind of sticks into the air into the late night air in new york it gets kind of like muggy and it's already hot throughout the day it doesn't decrease that much because we're all you know burning up in this burnt in this spinning rock we call earth and people have been telling us for years that global warming isn't a thing but here we are suffering 106 degree weather Fahrenheit degrees every single day, but whatever, <laughs> whatever, what do we know? Um, and also it just looked like she had a bad day at the office, which I would imagine most 43 year olds have, even at a recreational level. If you go behind the, the tennis courts behind your local wing stop, if there's a tennis court behind your local wing stop. And now that I say that there's a wing stop, not very far from the tennis courts I play, <laughs> but 43 year olds go out there and play and have bad days. Just like everybody else. It's just not as ostracized and um, put under a magnifying glass as if you were Venus Williams, former world number one grand slam champion and icon that she is. And yeah, it was just all around a tough, a tough watch. I, um, in the middle of the match, I turned on my Twitter spaces. If you're not already following me on Twitter, you definitely should, because I, I, I try my best to tweet live during a lot of the big matches and also give space for tennis fans on Twitter to hop onto the audio platform spaces to kind of speak their piece and um, walk through matches as if we were our own little commentators and our own community of tennis fans, you know, enjoying one of the massive events of the season. And a lot of people share the same sentiment throughout the time we were on spaces that it's just tough to see. Like it's tough to see. And we don't really, I'll speak for myself. I can't speak for everybody else, but I don't want to be a part of the people pushing Venus out of the sport because I don't feel like that is helpful. But ultimately, watching performances like she played tonight also aren't helpful to kind of uh, defending that cause or defending the other people that are naysayers and, uh, you know, relentlessly saying that she needs to retire. Um so yeah, just not a to be a Venus Williams fan was not a great night. I feel for the people that were in the stands. Um that paid for tickets because they saw one kind of dud of a match and then another match not even finished. So uh, they might have a sour taste in their mouth, but those, those drinks at the U S open can definitely brighten up everybody's night. So if you play your cards, right, a match shouldn't stop. No show. How about that? So, um, Venus Williams goes back to the drawing board. I'm not really sure where she goes with her season from here. And Carlos Alcarez moves on to round two. Who does Carlos Alcarez play in round two? That's a good question. Let's look it up really quickly. He plays Lloyd Harris, who has made a fourth round of the U.S. Open um, as recently, excuse me, a quarterfinal at the U.S. Open as recently as 2021. And he's been as high as 31 in the world in 2021. So, um, you know, Alcarez should be relatively uh, tested adjacent against Lloyd Harris. Lloyd Harris won in straight sets over Guido Pela, Pela, excuse me, in the first round to set up that matchup. So uh, eyes on that come Thursday. Let's get into some other results on day two of the U.S. Open, some high seeds were knocked out, and those seeds were Caroline Garcia. Caroline Garcia came in as a defending semifinalist last year. Keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that she won the WTA Finals, which is a competition of the best eight performers of the last season. She won that event in November of last year, and so far 
it has really been hit or miss for Miss Caroline Garcia, mostly miss. And she lost to Wang Yafan of China, the 29-year-old has actually been putting together a solid streak because she just picked up a title, the qualifier from China, uh, Wang Yafan, picked up a title in Stanford, California, just a week or so before the U.S. Open main draw began. And, I mean, <laughs> some years prior, picking up a title in Stanford when it was a actual WTA main tour event, that usually meant you were in contention and playing well for a main title <laughs> or to go deep at the U.S. Open. So Wang Yifan essentially becomes the number seven seed and she opens up a side of the draw that was already pretty open. She plays Katie Bolter next of Great Britain and the winner of that takes on the winner of Peyton Stearns and Clara Towson. Clara Towson had an upset over number 27 seed Anastasia Potapova. Also in that section, Ekaterina Alexandrova took out 2021 U.S. Open finalist and I think a very uh, easy person to root for in Layla Fernandez because she does what she did in this match almost every time I watch her play, which is just compete. But it's just she's trending to not be able to hang with the heaviest of the heaviest hitters on the WTA tour. And I'm not sure how that's going to equate into more wins for the rest of her career, but I'm not, you know, I'm not throwing her down the drain yet. as like a washed up, um, former grand slam finalist. It's just, you know, um, it hasn't been all sugar and gravy for Fernandez, but, uh, she did, she, she fight, she fought like she always did. So I, I, for that, I'm proud. And also number nine seed Marquetta Von Drusov had an easy win six, three, six love to move her into the second round where she faces Martina Trevisan. So quickly over to another, uh, high seed upset on the men's side this time though it was number 11 seed Karen Hatchinoff and also just as Caroline Garcia was last year Karen Hatchinoff was a semifinalist in the U.S. Open last year losing to Casper Rude and he's out at the first hurdle and admittedly I did see his match against Michael Moe being a a hurdle, obviously, because Michael Moe is uh, a talented and athletic enough player. And Karen Hatchinoff had not played since the French Open. He had played no competitive matches, pulled out of Wimbledon and several of the other uh, lead-up events to the U.S. Open with a back issue. And Michael Moe took advantage of that opportunity and beat Karen Hatchinoff 6-2, 6-4, 6-2, 6 in a very sneaky way, although Michael Moe needed a wild card to even take place in the main draw, he's had a very good year from the standpoint of beating players. He's beating players that are ranked much higher than him and have been more successful than him. And I mean, going back to Australia this year, Michael Moe picked up a win over Alexander Zverev. And in Wimbledon, he picked up a win over Felix Auger-Aliassime. And just a couple weeks ago, he picked up a win over Hubie Hercash in Washington, D.C. And now he takes out an undercooked Hatchinoff. So good for Michael Moe. At one point, Michael Moe was considered like, you know, American tennis tends to do this. But like, quote unquote, the next big thing in his career never really skyrocketed. It's, it's kind of been hovering in that 100 to 150 range or so. And he's, and he's been dealing with some injuries. So hopefully he can. And take that momentum and take it even further because his next opponent is a fellow American wild card who got a win today by the name of John Isner. And I saw bits and pieces of that match. I see bits and pieces of a lot of John Isner matches because if there's one thing ESPN and Tennis Channel has done over the years is make sure we pay attention to his matches for whatever reason, even though we 
kind of know how they're all going to end one way or another. Um, but this time was <laughs> just a dash more interesting, I guess, because this is his last tournament. He announced on Instagram and he took out an Argentine by the name of Facundo Diaz Acosta, lefty, 22-year-old from Buenos Aires, who I've never seen play before, but I have to admit I was rooting for him to do his big one against John Isner because that's just where I fall on that side of things. But he won, and there was a very awkward, like, (laughs) goodbye to tennis John Isner speech, even though he won and is going to be playing again in the second round. I guess they figured he might as well do it now because we don't know how many more times we're going to see John Isner compete in Louis Armstrong Stadium, but... I turned my back and found time to take a nap when all that happened. So um, more power to you, John Isner fans. And uh, people will have eyes on that Michael Moe and John Isner match because that'll be for a spot in the third round of the U.S. Open. Hey guys, if you're enjoying today's episode, please take a look at the episode description, support the growth of the show by grabbing a coffee from the link, and while you're at it, be sure to engage with Tuned Into Tennis on social networks. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook is where you can find us. Leave a review if you like what you're listening to so far, and let's get back to the show. In that section of the draw... While I'm looking at it, there were also some big wins from former performers or really good performers at the U.S. Open, one of which being Matteo Berrettini. Berrettini made the semifinals at the U.S. Open back in 2019, and that was kind of his major breakthrough. He went on to win a Wimbledon, excuse me, he went on to make Wimbledon final in 2021. And between 2021, Wimbledon final, losing to Djokovic, and now his career has kind (sighs) of... plateaued in a way and maybe I'm being a little too lenient by even calling it that but I I, I did not foresee Berrettini with the big weapons he has struggling the way he has um, with his body really I mean sometimes you just have to listen to what your body's telling you but his body has been unable to be consistently allowing him on the court but something clicked for him and maybe it's going to click for a, you know, knock on wood, good run here at the U S open because he took out number 29 seed Hugo Umber of the U S of, of the U S of France, who had actually been putting together some decent results himself over the U S open series. And Bertini beat him in straight sets comfortably six, four, six, two, six, two, which I wasn't expecting that much of a comfortable win, but I was expecting Bertini to maybe pull that out. So to see him, you know, comfortably get through that is a good sign. Also, someone who got in uh, through their next round was Gael Monfi. He took out qualifier Taro Daniel of Japan. Gael Monfi won in four sets, four, six, six, four, six, two, seven, six. And he moves on to take, which I hope I'm looking at this on paper, maybe a night match on Thursday because he takes on Andre Rublev, who got a very straightforward win himself in the first round. And Andre Rublev is an eight seed. He's been to the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open a couple different times. And that if. Gael Monfils plays to the level that he has shown that he can in the past couple of weeks in the States because he's beaten Alexander Bublik. He's beaten Chris Eubanks. He's beaten some players that are above the ranking 
line that I thought Monfils would be able to compete with. So he's actually made a believer out of me in the fact that he may have one last push in him. And if he has one last push in him to, you know, make a deep run of the slam and be remembered for that, because he's already publicly say he doesn't even know if he's going to play again in the state so he's kind of given it all that he has i'd like to see him give it his all against andre rublev because in my mind that may be some some strong and long baseline rallies with a little bit of extra um fun in them because that's what guy Monfils does so looking forward to that one on thursday we'll see if it'll be a night match some other things to bring up from day two slash night two, night two, excuse me, top seeds win um, some top seeds. They aren't number one, but they are amongst the top. Uh, Arena Sabalenka was through pretty comfortably. Uh, Daniel Medvedev was through very comfortably on Ash. I think he lost the least amount of games in a Grand Slam match that he's ever lost in his professional career, which is quite interesting. Um, and I guess bodes well to a potential uh, maybe semifinal match with Carlos Alcaraz, I believe, which I'd like to see. He beat, um, I think I said his name last yesterday on the podcast, Atelia Balazaz of Hungary. He beat him 6-1, love. So, yeah. I didn't see any of that match, but from the scoreline, either Medvedev was way overmatched or just played impeccably and probably was a mixture of the two. So he's moving on. Also moving on is Daria Kasakina, who survived a scare from Alicia Parks after driving the after dropping the first set. They were on outside court. And I thought Alicia Parks may have a shot in that match. I mean, she she showed as much as she's a dangerous opponent by taking a set off of Kasakina. But Kasakina is the kind of player that's able to weather storms, especially from big hitters like Alicia Parks. And Alicia Parks hasn't shown me that she's able to kind of rein in her game when she doesn't paint the lines as uh quick and confidently as she can when things go awry they kind of just go awry in long patches and Kasakina is the exact player you don't want to have that against because she's just too solid and gets the ball back every chance she gets so uh, she moves through who else uh oh back to the men really quickly Andy Murray got a straight sets victory today at a grand slam my spirit is telling me it's been a while since Andy Murray. He he may have gotten a straight sets victory at Wimbledon this year, but it just feels like in general straight sets victories for Andy Murray do do not come um, very frequently. So for him to get a straight sets victory over Quarantine Mute six two seven five six three is a good indicator of where his level is, especially considering he pulled out of Toronto mid tournament and also pulled out of Cincinnati with an injury. He said on court. In his match in Toronto that it wasn't that bad, but he was, you know, targeting the U.S. Open and wanted to rest up for that. So maybe things are um, working in his favor. He's going to need his body, though, because the next match he plays is against number 19 seed Grigor Dimitrov, who did not have as easy of a time getting to the second round because he was pushed to the brink 7-6 in the fifth against Alexander. Is it Alexander? Excuse me. Just Alex Mulkin of Slovakia. Lefty, tricky lefty. Uh, took two sets earlier this year off of Felix Auger. see him at Australia. But I, yes, it's important to mention that Grigor Dimitrov saved match points and went on to win that. But I feel like it's equally important to just mention that Dimitrov has sneaked 
in a sneaky way had a good season and i think the matchup between he and andy murray is going to be interesting it's definitely kind of a throwback early you know mid 2010s matchup for where we are in 2023 in professional tennis but i'm interested to see it because that matchup will potentially face alexander zverev in the third round so and all of that is in Yannick's center section of the draw, who also got a very straightforward win in straight sets. So some interesting matches to come in the U.S. Open. And before we uh, wrap, out, wrap up and get out of here, I just want to make a mention of some American women who cruised to victory. Jessica Pagula, the number three seed, who's bidding for another U.S. Open quarter and possibly more. She beat a, a, always a threat in Camilla Georgie in straight sets. And uh, Madison Keys looked pretty comfortable out there as well, beating Arantxa Roos of the Netherlands in straight sets. So they both move on into the second round. Oh, and one more American woman had a great win American Sasha Vickery Sasha Vickery where are you in this draw let me give you some love and give you your flowers yeah 28 year old Sasha Vickery (laughs) born in Miramir Florida who's been on the tour for quite a while and you know honestly she plays a lot of ITFs WTA challengers and qualifies for tournaments and her highest ranking has been 73 back in 2018 so it's been a while that she's really had a big win but she got herself a big win under her belt today by beating 21 seed Donna Vekage 6-2 in the third and that is like I said that's the best win for her that she's had in quite a while so that was nice to see her on the winner board and get some love on social media for um, staying persistent and going through the ups and downs of being a professional tennis player. So uh, shout out to Sasha Vickery because, uh, you know, at the level that she normally, you know, normally competes at, I'm sure it's a, it's, it's doggy dog. And when you have moments when you compete for second round prize money of a major, it, it just makes it all feel worth it. I'm sure. So that was good to see. Am I missing anybody that won? That's of a that's of importance. Anj Jabor won today, but it was not convincing. She took out Camilia Osorio of Colombia, seven five seven six. I watched good, a good bit of that match as well, and Anj Jabor seemed to have been struggling with some kind of illness. She was getting her blood pressure taken and saying she felt like she was going to puke and. Um, there's been other things going around at the U.S. Open. I think John McEnroe, yeah, John McEnroe came out and said he tested positive for COVID. I'm not saying that John McEnroe and Anj Jabor were like in some <laughs> secluded office exchanging COVID germs, but there seems to have been some rumblings of people going on. I think the journalist Ben Rothenberger or Rothenberg whatever said that a lot of people in the press conference and journalist areas have been kind of sneezing and coughing too so if you are at the u.s open and you're listening to this or you have plans of going to the u.s open you may want to bring a mask because you know in general germs are easily spread but we're on the other side of a of a a massive global pandemic called COVID 19 and that is not going anywhere so uh, i wouldn't want anybody um to struggle with that if they don't have to. So definitely take care of yourselves if you are headed to New York this year for the U.S. Open. All right. That's pretty much what happened on day two. Let's look ahead to day three and see who's on the big courts and the schedule to give us some entertainment on Wednesday of the U.S. Open. Let's pull this up. 
All right, first up, we got Coco Golf versus Mira Andreva, a rematch of their French Open head to head, which was interesting because Mira Andreva took that first set and Coco Golf just dropped her first set in there in her last match, like we talked about in the episode prior. So that'll be interesting. They play first on Arthur Ashe Stadium, 11 a.m. Eastern, followed by Novak Djokovic versus Zapata Morales. Not much to say there. Djokovic should cruise. The night match on Ash is going to be featured. Featuring Francis Tiafo versus Sebastian Offner. Um, in my mind, Francis Tiafo loves the night session. I, I'm thinking about his matches. Maybe it wasn't necessarily like starting at night, but I think some of his matches have gone into the evening at uh, the U.S. Open. And I think that is just right up his alley. So good for them for uh, prioritizing him to get a night uh, match session in there. I don't love when the men go before the women in the U.S. Open night session, especially because the men play best of five sets. And I'm not saying the women can't wait, but it just feels weird. I don't know how else to describe it. That like after, let's say they go five sets and the match is four hours and they started at six and now it's 11 o'clock. There's a women's match that needs to go on and everybody's just kind of like, I don't know. (coughs) Excuse me. It just feels like the air out of the stadium is left and no one really wants to pay attention to watch the match. But, it may not apply in this situation because the night match for the women tomorrow is Petra Kvitova versus Karolina Wozniacki. A very 2010s matchup rematch. Uh, I would say the first real, real stern test of Wozniacki's comeback. She's only played two other tournaments in Toronto, or excuse me, Montreal and Cincinnati. And Kvitova's had a sneaky good season. She won Miami on hard court courts earlier this year. And she also won a title in grass in Berlin. And this is the, how many times have they played? Their head-to-head is uh, 9-6 in favor of Kvitova, so they've played quite a lot since 2009. And, yeah, I'm going to watch that and get all of my 2010s WTA vibes from that and see see who comes out the victor. The matches on Lewis Armstrong tomorrow are going to be starting off with Elisa Mertens versus Danielle Collins, followed by Iga Swiatek versus Daria Seville. Interesting matchup here, Dominic Team versus Ben Shelton. They played earlier this year on the clay courts, I want to say in Estoril, and Team actually got that win because Ben Shelton is not all that comfortable on clay. So I think it'll be an interesting matchup to see them play on hard courts now as Ben Shelton is the up-and-comer and Dominic Team is a former champion of the U.S. Open. He's not playing anywhere near the level that he played to win that U.S. Open in 2020, but it's a good matchup on paper and kind of my eyes went to it for sure. Uh, followed following that match is number four seed Elena Rabakina versus Alia Tamjanovic, last year's quarterfinalist and slayer of Serena Williams. In the last match on Louis Armstrong would be number nine seed American Taylor Fritz taking on Juan Pablo Verias of Peru. Let's peruse the grounds for some other matches. Pagula and Golf are going to be teaming up in doubles once again, and they're going to be starting off their campaign campaign against Wildcards Gleason and Mandlik. Also, Casper Ruud, last year's finalist, is going to be taking on Zhang Zhijin of China last on Grandstand. Um, so that'll be an interesting test because I think Zhang Zhijin hits a pretty heavy ball and Casper Ruud has just been kind of inexplicable all season. So I'm not sure which Casper Ruud we are going to get on tomorrow, but I will be having an eye out on that match. Just, just, just one eye, not, not both, not just one. (laughs) All right. 
this has been a fun walkthrough of day two at the U.S. Open. If you haven't already, please find us on social media at Tuned Into Tennis. We'll be giving you updates as often and periodically. Is it periodically and often? Just say as much as we can throughout the remainder of the U.S. Open. I love interacting with you guys that listen. I love getting you guys' feedback. I love the energy you guys give me when we're able to watch matches live on Spaces. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm super tuned in for the rest of the U.S. Open and ready for the ride in new york so with that being said i will catch you guys on the next episode going over day three and that'll be it all right guys take care talk to you soon Network.